I'm Megan. I'm Christy. And I'm Anne Speed. And we are Homebrew Murder Crew. Little ditty about Vern and Diane. Homebrew Murder Crew gonna do this podcast best we can. Welcome back. For another episode of Homebrew Murder Crew. Like, I know we just, yeah, we are remote again. I know we get together at the same time every time, but it feels like we have gone so long. I don't know why. I just feel like it's been forever since we last spoke. Um, We're, well, we did mine and then we did Megan's, but then we had the microbrewer in between and we did two remote. So we've talked a lot. But we yeah. haven't seen each other a lot. So, um, yeah, guys, thanks for joining us yet again for another week, another episode. Um, what's new in true crime news before we get started? I think Megan's got that. Yeah, I don't know if everybody saw, but I definitely did. But they actually found um, <clears throat> Brittany Drexel's body after... Um, seven, uh, sorry, since 2009, she's been missing. Wow. Yeah, so she went missing, um, I think one evening coming home from the bar. And uh, there hasn't really been much going on in um, around her case. There was a, there was one person that they thought was a suspect for a while, but nothing came of that. Um, and I guess in early last month, Georgetown County deputies arrested a man, Raymond Moody, who's 62, who was who was already a registered sex offender. They arrested him on obstruction of justice charge, and they actually had considered him a person of interest in Brittany's disappearance. And about a week after they arrested him, I guess he led them to her remains. Wow. So her family can finally get a little bit of closure. Because what, it's been 17 years? Well, that's long enough. That's too long. Yeah. 13 years. Yeah, math. 2009 is when it happened. Wow. Now 20. All right. Well, 13 years is still too long. You know what? Any day that a family has to go without any kind of justice or closure is too long. So. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So, you guys, I'm bringing you a story today um that's gonna touch on domestic violence um so as we usually do um to our listeners we will put uh some information in the show notes for you if you are experiencing domestic violence in your life or if somebody that you know your friend a loved one is experiencing it then you can share that information with them as well um Today's episode that I'm going to tell you about, it's also an episode on um, Evil Lives Here, which is like on Discovery Plus. So they That's love- my favorite show. I love it. <laughs> That's so my favorite. This There's two separate sort of like, uh, I don't want to say seasons because there's one that's got like 12, 11 to 12 seasons on it. And then there's this new one. The so, new one yet. Yeah. So it kind of dips into both of those. Um, I'm going to give you guys, obviously, which episode it is. So you can go and watch it. And that will be in the show notes as well. But uh, are you guys ready? 
I'm ready. I'm, I'm always ready. I love the show. Let's I get uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. No, get super uncomfy, everybody, because oh, let's do this shit. Comfy. So our case today takes us to Twin Falls, Idaho. Um, and we're talking about a few different people in this case. So um, I'll just get started and we'll kind of touch on everybody as we go. So first we're going to talk about uh, two, two people that we start with here are Vern and Vicki, Vern Jensen and Vicki Jensen. So Vern and Vicki's relationship um, basically started when they were both quite young. Vern was 20 years old when he met Vicki at a hospital that they both worked at in Boise, Idaho. And Vicki was a registered nurse at the time and Vern was a respiratory therapy student. Vern thought that Vicky was nice. She seemed quite interested in him romantically. And Vern was just recently divorced. And actually, Vicky was too. And he found that she was a good listener. She was very sympathetic. Um, she was just kind, caring, and affectionate. So that really drew him to her. But they'd only gone on like a couple dates here and there. And there'd never been a discussion about anything being official or super serious. And one weekend, Vern went out on a trip with his friends. And when he got home, and he lived with his parents at this time while he was attending school. So when he got home, he found out that Vicky had been like power calling his mom, wondering where he was, who he was with, etc. And so... Vern confronted Vicky about this when he saw her at work next and asked her how she had even found his parents' phone number. Like, he never gave Vicky his parents' phone number. And she told Vern that she had gone through all the Jensen's in the phone book, called every single one until he found, until she found his mom's phone number. <laughs> That's wild. Red flag. <laughs> that takes <laughs> crazy to a whole new level. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, understandably, he was really put off by this, but he kind of brushed it off. It seemed like Vicky was under the impression that they were in a serious relationship. Uh, he was young, and he didn't have a lot of experiences in relationships anyway. So he kind of thought, well, maybe she just really likes me. Maybe this is kind of normal. And perhaps he had missed something with respect to understanding at what point the relationship was at. So he, he kind of just went with it and he ended up committing to Vicky and like as in a serious relationship, but Vicky's behaviors only became much more obsessive and possessive from there. So Vern could not find a position in his field in Boise, Idaho. So remember he's a respiratory student. Um, so he couldn't find a position coming out of school uh, in his field in Boise. So he began looking outside of Boise. He was able to get a job after graduation in Twin Falls, Idaho. And so he made the decision to move there. When he broke the news to Vicky, though, she got upset and accusatory. She thought that he was cheating on her. He's like, she's like, who's the girl? Yada, yada, like yada. So. Going down that rabbit hole in her head, driving exactly. herself a little insane. Yeah. yeah. I think we've all been there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Just to the next extent. Yeah. So Vicky made the decision right then and there that she would quit her job and come with him. Okay. And wow. Vicky, <laughs> again, Vern, Vern being naive in relationships, he thought that maybe this would work out and that it was for the best and they could be together. So Anyone he kind of went. Have any predictions here? <laughs> <laughs> 
So after Vicky and her son, because Vicky had a son from her previous marriage, uh, after they moved in with Vern in Twin Falls, things began to unravel quickly. Vicky's behavior changed drastically. She became angry, violent, and sometimes even physical with Vern. Manic. Um, what's that? It sounds like manic. Yeah. <laughs> Vern began to get to know Vicky's son and one day Vern had noticed that um, there was a burn on her son's legs and so when she when he asked her what that was from Vicky explained that she was just giving him a bath and she left him for a second to answer the phone that was ringing and then when she came back her son had turned the hot water on and burned his legs badly. So the question on that then how yeah. like with the burning of the legs Cause we've all burned ourselves. I'm pretty sure. Like, and you know, when you have like a hot water burn, that's very different than if you burn yourself with an iron, right? Right. So it's like, is right. that just her story or did the actual burn itself line up with her story? Do we know that? We don't really know that. Um, and obviously in the episode um, on discovery plus it has a reenactment of that situation so you can only ascertain so much from that and yeah. um what i would so i'll just go on to to say that once Vern had confronted vicky about that and she had given her explanation that didn't make sense to Vern because if there was already water in the tub and it, it would it would be hard to reach that degree of heat so quickly unless her hot water tank was cranked to fucking Satan's hot asshole. <laughs> Touche. Then, then that, that would make sense. But it's like, you'd have to have your hot water tank cranked so high for that to even be possible. And that's kind of why I asked that question, because even me thinking of it when you were saying it didn't yeah. make sense. So, so what I think, and I mean, this is only like, without enough information to really form a, an actual opinion but since we're here talking and we don't know anything about anything anyways and we we aren't journalists so it doesn't really fucking matter <laughs> i think that what probably happened was that uh vicky probably got upset at her son for something and in order to punish him she probably just threw boiling water on him that's that actually makes a lot of sense yeah though. like that makes more sense when you say it to me then yeah. the whole oh it like it burned him in the exactly yeah, yeah. And, and Vern suspects yeah. that she was probably punishing her son for something as well um, but there had never been any proof and Vicky just got so angry with Vern for even questioning her basically just told him to mind his own business well and doesn't that kind of tell you that right there yeah. <laughs> you get yeah. that defensive about something <laughs> exactly and I'm sorry but like you and your son are now living under the same roof. Like you're living in his house. Of course it's his business. Like he's basically bonus dad to this boy. And I mean, good for him for being concerned. I mean, I'm sure there's more he wish he could have done about it, but you know, yeah. What, what can you what do? That's right. So Vicky had made the decision that her and Vern would get married. Yes, you heard that right. Vicky made the decision that her and Vern would get married. This wasn't like a mutual sort of like <laughs> romantic nice. gesture yeah. of 
undying love for somebody. No, it was a decision was made. Um, Vern wasn't all that interested in marrying Vicky, especially considering her outbursts of anger, her verbal abuse, and she'd even hit him in the face at one point after he purchased the wrong type of fence for the yard. But Vern only went along with it because he thought, well, they're already living together. They're kind of like acting like husband and wife. So he thought it was just the right thing to do. Mm, Poor naive Vern. Yeah. And not only is Vern still navigating a new relationship, he, again, does not have much experience with relationships. And Vicky's also proving to be a manipulative narcissist, although Vern doesn't really realize that yet. And, I mean, this is back in 1999, so there's not a whole lot of discussion around narcissistic behavior at that point. And especially when you're talking about um, domestic abuse, abuse coming from the woman yes and in the relationship right yes that's what i was gonna say i was gonna say i love that you brought this case to the table because it's a woman against a man because we talk about mental health all the time and it's becoming more and more acceptable for women to have it but it it needs to be just as acceptable for men and it's going to start with acknowledging that this kind of shit happens to men exactly yeah yeah and i thought it was important to like i'm not getting into this and don't expect us ever to but i know that the amber heard johnny depp trial is on the forefront of a lot of people's minds yeah and one instance i mean i'm not saying that one it ties wrong, in. one's right or anything like that i don't know what the outcome of that is i don't have enough information on that but this that's one scenario where you're seeing that there has been um, history of abuse from the woman to the man. Um, so bringing this up, and again, it doesn't just have to be a woman experiencing domestic violence in a relationship. True. It can Preach. be the other way around. Everybody Preach. is capable of being abusive. Everybody is capable of being a narcissist. It doesn't matter if you are a man, a woman, a they, a them, doesn't matter. Everybody you fucking smurf and you're still capable. We've seen the smurfs. You're capable yeah. of being a shithead. <laughs> yeah. So after the marriage, not much changed in regards to Vicky's behavior. Shocking. Vern mm-hmm. often considered leaving, but he didn't really enjoy the idea of a second failed marriage. So that kind of weighed heavy on him, especially him being so young. Well, there was pro- he probably had a lot of judgment. I wouldn't be surprised if she put judgment on him already, being like, "Oh yeah, right." And so that's insecurities built on insecurities. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So he probably doesn't think that he could get any better that, and he wants a relationship because we're all guilty of that too. We want a relationship, but we're with somebody that's not healthy for us. But we want that relationship so badly that it blinds us. Until we can no longer be blinded. Yeah. It's like Sounds you like have, have something to prove to your family. Yes. Yourself yeah. that you don't see the bigger picture. Yes. Yeah. It's so that's what it, narcissists do too, right? Like that's yeah. their number one yes. thing is that they make you feel like you can't get any better. Exactly. Yeah. Or they, they feed off of your, your weaknesses or your insecurities, yeah. like Brittany yeah. said, and they use that as ammunition against you. Yeah. So having PTSD. (laughs) What's that? Is that anyone else having PTSD? (laughs) (laughs) 
So besides that, Vicky was like such a pro gaslighter that Vern often thought that he was the reason for her violent outbursts. Yeah. That there was something wrong with him that he had to change. And he was determined to make this marriage work. Yeah. Oh, but, sounds familiar. Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. But Vern would soon meet someone who would give him a new perspective on his relationship and remind him that he was deserving of love and happiness and that that was more important. So I want to say yay, but we're talking about it. So I'm thinking nay. <laughs> Enter Alita Diane Ray. Now, from here on out, I'm going to refer to her as Diane because this is the name she frequently went by. Also, so, I like the tie into your song at the beginning, Vernon yeah. Diane. I yeah, see what you, you did know. there. Looking <laughs> up what I'm throwing down. When I'm throwing my sick beats. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Vern, <laughs> please keep the aw damn. <laughs> so Vern met Diane when she was a student at one of the lectures that Vern taught. So remember, Vern has now he's finished school, he's moved to Twin Falls, he's now doing lectures and everything for other um, medical students. So they hit it off right away and she was having relationship issues as well with her boy, her then boyfriend. So having that common ground uh, along with the effortless conversation and the general vibing with each other, they became, they became fast friends. Yeah. Vern found in Diane someone that he could really talk to and connect with. And Vern soon realized that although he did not want to have to go through a second divorce, his happiness was more important Oh, so yay. yeah right Good i'm glad that him. he reached that point yeah. <laughs> yeah so he packed up and left one day while vicky was at work he got his own apartment he began the process of filing for divorce he is just done he finally had seen the light and this is yay for Vern. Yeah. right yes yeah everything was great but <laughs> Vicky was relentless. I mean, she's obsessive. She's possessive. Obviously, she's going to be causing some trouble for their relationship. So it's she somehow tracked down the couple at their new apartment and began harassing them. She even showed up once with Diane's ex-boyfriend, the one that was abusive to her. Oh, Seriously? shit. Yeah. What? Oh, my God. That is Where insane. Is like bold fucking douche yeah like do you really think you're gonna get your point across with that oh yeah right to a sane person you wouldn't yeah <laughs> no so there seemed to be no end in sight with vicky's antics and diane had even mentioned to Vern that she felt like there was going to be one final thing that vicky would try to do to ruin their relationship however i don't believe that she knew it would be to this extent Vern, in the back of his mind, knowing that Vicky is capable of some serious violence and damage, he always imagined that she would go after him and try to hurt him somehow. But yeah. it turns out the heart wants what the heart wants, and Vicky could not stand not having Vern under her thumb. She would take matters into her own hands. Ba, ba, ba. This so, doesn't sound good. Yeah. 
so Diane also, um, she has a child that had moved in with her. Like when she moved in with Vern, she has a child who's three. She was about to turn four and her child's name is Jade. And she's actually a mom to, um, I, I believe it's four or five other children. So like older siblings to Jade, but they didn't live with her. Okay. So, so she got, essentially got custody of a child she already had. Yeah. And there was custody uh, adjustments, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, so Jade had moved in with, um, with her mom and when they moved in with Vern and started their relationship. So on September 9th, 1999, Vern and Diane had plans to head back to Boise for a quick trip after Vern was done work that day. The plan was to pick Diane and Jade up and hit the road. So Vern called Diane that afternoon to let her know that he was on his way home and to be ready. So the phone rang and surprisingly, it was actually Jade who answered the phone. And so Vern said, is mommy there? Vern asked, mommy's sleeping. She has purple lipstick on, Jade proclaimed. Oh no. Well, oh. Can, can you wake mommy up and let her know I'm on my way? Asked Vern. Okay, Jade said, and she hung up the phone. Vern arrived home to Jade on the couch watching TV. Jade told Vern that mommy was still napping oh. and Vern began making his way to the bedroom. He's feeling uneasy. It's not really like uh, Diane to have a nap that's this long. So he opened the bedroom door to find Diane face down on the floor. Oh, God. As he touched her to wake her up, he noticed that she was cold. Vern turned her over. She wouldn't wake up. Her lips were bluish purple. Purple lipstick. Purple lips, yeah. Diane was dead. Vern immediately contacted the police. Oh, shit. When the authorities arrived at uh, Diane's Twin Falls County home, they found Diane how Vern had described her, and she was pronounced dead at the scene. Surprisingly, no evidence of a robbery, a brawl, or forced entry was found, but they did, however, find methamphetamine in her purse beside the bed. What about blood? Was there any blood in on the scene, or was it just her lying on the ground? No, it was just her lying on the ground. Okay. So... Because they found the methamphetamine and, and marijuana in her purse beside the bed, um, and based off the toxicology, her death was determined to be an accidental overdose. Oh, I'm so irritated. However, Diane's young daughter, who was three years old at the time, who was present during the murder, kept implying that there had been other people in the house earlier. It's difficult to take a statement from a child, like a, a toddler. Like their minds make up all sorts of fantastical things in order for them to make sense of a situation themselves. It's also just the easier to assume that it was an accidental overdose than put any fucking effort into it. Yeah. Yep. But police would sit Jade down and question her any, anyway, um, right. which we'll go through in a little bit here. But before that happens, Vern suspects foul play. Vern knew that there was no way that Diane could have overdosed because he knew she did not do drugs, regardless of them stating that they found meth and marijuana on Diane when they located her body. Vern already had his suspicions about Vicky being involved after suffering years of violence and threats by her. So luckily they didn't, they did launch an investigation um, after the autopsy was performed, uh, the toxicology would not only reveal that there was methamphetamine in Diane's system, but some further blood work analysis um, would actually indicate that her cause of death was an insulin overdose. 
Okay. So they that she wasn't. Anybody that knows anything about true crime knows that overdosing someone on insulin is like, I don't want to say it, but like a almost ish foolproof way. <laughs> Vicky had accomplices in her diabolical plan here. Um, Vicky's niece, Autumn, was 15 years old, and Vicky provided money to her and instructed her to buy the methamphetamine that Vicky would inject into Diane. Vicky instructed Autumn's ex-boyfriend, Matt, who was 18 at the time, to obtain a firearm for use in intimidating and overpowering Diane. Vicky obtained the insulin from the hospital that she worked at and purchased... and purchased disguises so that she and her accomplices would not be recognized. On the night before the murder, Autumn and Matt spent the night at Jensen at Vicky's home, where all three rehearsed their roles in the murder several times. It doesn't get more premeditated than that. No, you have dress rehearsals for the murder. Yeah. Are you yeah. fucking kidding me? Yeah. Oh my god! Well, and, but you want to know like what pisses me off the most about that? Is because it takes so much goddamn effort for them to plan something like that. And law enforcement falls right into it because they planned for that. They planned to get away with it. And really, when the death is ruled a accidental overdose, they've gotten away with it. There has to be something else that happens in order for something like that when a coroner says that it was an accidental overdose, there has to be something else that takes place in order for there to be justice. And it's like, it sucks that the victim in the case did nothing. And there's so much effort that needs to be done for for the victim to be proven innocent. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then it's so easy to just be like, make assumptions and everything. But then there's people that plan for days and have dress rehearsals. Yeah. And can with it. So disguised um, on that fateful day, Autumn entered the house and asked Diane to use her phone to call the police because she claimed that her boyfriend had just beat her. Vicky and her accomplices then entered and forced themselves into the apartment after Vern left for work. And while one of her accomplices restrained Diane, Vicky injected a lethal dose of insulin into Diane's arm. To make it appear as though Diane died of a drug overdose, Vicky also injected Diane with methamphetamine and placed methamphetamine in Diane's purse. For approximately one hour, Vicky and her accomplices watched Diane suffer from the, oh, effects, <clears throat> from the effects of the insulin and waited for her to die. All this while her young daughter is like... There, right. in the house. Yeah, Oh. Um, yeah, when Vicky was satisfied that Diane would not survive, her and her accomplices fled the apartment, leaving Diane's young daughter, Jade, alone with her dying mother. Jade, who again was three years old at the time, was in the hallway playing and witnessed everything. In fact, Vicky had wanted to then murder the child too, as she was a witness, but Matt had actually put a hard stop to that idea oh. and convinced Vicky to leave the child alone. Oh, thank God. Like, I'm sorry, like, you've already done something horrible, but it, oh, God, I don't even want to say it, but yeah. I'm just so glad the child survived. I know. 
So the gig was up for the trio when police received a tip from one of Autumn's friends after Autumn had suggested that they do the same thing to her friend's father after her friend had confided in Autumn that they were not getting along. Jesus. So it's just like, that's a resolution to all our problems. Yeah, Autumn's like, guess what? I know how you can kill somebody and get away with it. And her friend's like, well, how do you know you can get away with it? And she's like, because I did, because I did it. And I got away with it. So then the friend gave the tip to the police. Good fucking job. Good job. So you get for recruiting a 15 year old. Yeah. (laughs) So daughter Jade would go, would later go on to tell her version of events. um, Obviously the best that she could recall in a separate episode where she confronts, where, where she confronts Vern with some unanswered questions 20 years later. So that episode is, um, so it's, evil lives here shadows of death season three episode one they killed my mom the original episode is evil lives here and it's season 11 episode eight titled divorce never murder maybe i feel like like that thought process across many of people's minds So of that day, Jade recalls vague memories that play back like an old VHS tape in her mind. Those are her words. She recalls the doorbell ringing or knocking at the door and her mom going to answer it. Then three people entered and pushed her mom into the bedroom. Jade recalls seeing a gun and as two people entered the room with her mom, one came out and sat with Jade to distract her. She asked Jade if she had a favorite toy and she played with her for a bit and it's believed that this was Amber that did this, the 15-year-old. Right. But she, that's also hard to wrap your head around oh, your age of her. <laughs> yeah. Right? She remembers hearing her mom call to her, telling her that she loved her, and telling Jade to let her siblings know how much she loves them too. Looking back, Jade was surprised that her mom, in this moment of such distress, would actually have the wherewithal to even collect herself to get this message out to her. So while speaking with investigators, Jade tried to tell them about the three people she saw coming into the home and attack her mother. Jade, how, how did your mommy get difficult to hear again as it plays back it's such an old recording so I will just let you guys know what was said so the investigator says well Jade how did your mommy get dead Jade says somebody come in the house and rolled over the floor investigator they rolled over the floor Jade "Uh uh-huh and killed my mom after he stepped in the room he killed my mom my mom told me that her will always be in my heart investigator did your mom tell you anything else jade he won't talk her sorry jade her won't talk her dead 
investigator. Did her tell you something before her got dead? Jade. Mm-hmm. Investigator. What'd she tell you? Jade. Her told me her will always be in my heart and her will be here someday. So it's fucking heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, she tried to give them as much information as she could that someone came in, someone did this to her, someone did this to her mom. And it should have been very obvious, but instead it was looked at as just an overdose for so long. Yeah. That's so heartbreaking. And you know what is even more heartbreaking is that little girl didn't understand the depths of those words until she grew up and digested the trauma. (laughs) Right? But And that's the thing. It's like your brain does not function the same way when you're that age, once you're an adult. Absolutely. So a little bit about Vicky's history, this bitch. So Vicky had previously told Vern of a plan that she had to murder his ex-wife after the state had increased Vern's child support payments. She was angry. They couldn't afford an increase in child support. And so Vicky thought it best to get rid of the problem at its source. Vern had initially thought that Vicky must be joking. Like, there's no fucking way that you're fucking serious. No, bitch crazy. She means... Yeah. (laughs) But a few days later, she came home from the hospital where she worked. And she told Vern that he needed to go to his parents' house for a few hours in order to establish an alibi. And she, at that point, she held out a handful of syringes filled with insulin. And she told Vern that the best place to inject the insulin is between the toes because they never look there. Wow. Vern lost it and he finally stood up to Vicky and he would rip the needles from her hand and left the house to dispose of them and at this point Vern knew that Vicky was capable of serious harm go Vern what, yeah what's unfortunate though is that he didn't let Diane know about how wow. dangerous Vicky was and so even though when Vicky's coming and she's yeah. harassing the family and everything, like she's got kids, there's kids. Yeah. There, right. You should have thought about it sooner. She <laughs> should have had all the information that she needed to make a choice. Yeah. Safe to stay or do we do something else? Yeah. So Vicky Arlene Jensen pleaded guilty and was sentenced to life in prison. Autumn Pauls, who was 15 at the time of the murder, was tried as an adult, and Matthew W. Pearson was 18 at the time, so he was obviously tried as an adult because he was an adult. But all of them were convicted of first-degree murder. Matthew Pearson was eligible for parole in 2015, and Autumn Pauls in 2012. Did they make parole, do we know? I know. I believe they did. I know for sure that um matthew and autumn are both out of prison now so excellent yeah at sentencing the judge called jensen the evil mastermind of a perverse and horrendous crime the idaho industrial commission which is a state agency in idaho that's responsible for managing the state's workers compensation system um, they also act as an administrative court for unemployment insurance decisions issued by the idaho department of labor or idaho department of commerce so this industrial commission they paid out 22 and a half um thousand dollars for raised funeral and for child benefits for diane ray's funeral and child benefits for Jade and prosecutors say that Jensen Pearson and Paul's all must pay the money back 
um, Prosecutor Grant Loeb says that Pauls and Pearson have no known objections. They never had any objections to repaying that sum, but that Vicki Jensen was seeking relief for that amount. She filed an objection after discovering that the state was deducting money from her prison account, saying that she'll never be able to pay off the debt. Boo fucking who? Right. You took somebody's <sighs> fucking mom away. Well, exactly. How do you, how do you, yeah. No, yeah. don't even talk to me about it. Yeah. So our court records don't indicate how much the state is subtracting each month, but Jensen says that she only makes 20 cents an hour working in the prison. Well, it sounds like a you problem. Not it sounds like you have the capability of getting up every day and fucking working. You yeah. took that away from someone, BTW. Exactly. So obviously with all of this, I mean, Jade being only three at the time, Diane and Vern's relationship was, you know, fairly new, but Jade and Vern had like a really good relationship together too. But unfortunately, after that day, Jade never saw Vern again. He, she just never saw him again. Um, he explains why in that uh, episode, but with the help of the documentary, Jensen was able to reconnect with Jade. Um, Jensen said that he considers her family still and they, and they speak frequently. Um, he says, quote, I wanted her to know the story and it felt wonderful to tell her about her mother and who she really was. Diane was a good person and she deserved to know that she will now always have someone in her corner End quote. Jade now has a child of her own and her family says that her sparkle and zest for life has returned since becoming a mother herself. Now, she also shares her story on, um, there's a Facebook group for uh, Marcy's Law. Marcy's Law is the California Victims Bill of Rights Act of 2008. Um, it was enacted by voters as Proposition 9 through the initiative process in November 2008 general election. Um, basically, the act protects and expands the legal rights of victims of crime to include 17 rights in the judicial process, including the right to legal standing, protection from the defendant, notification of all court proceedings and restitution as well as granting people uh sorry granting parole boards far greater powers to deny inmates parole um again all in an effort to kind of protect the victims especially victims who never really asked to be victims like like jade right she never yeah. asked she she is a victim very much she she has her life but she doesn't have a mother and this is something she has to deal with daily. So on that Facebook page, um, Marcy's Law had done um, a few stories of victims um, sharing. And they did this for uh, the Domestic Violence Month last year, which I believe is in October. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is Marcy's Law for Idaho. So it's expanded um, to, I think, I believe each state has their own sort of I've actually... I have heard of Marcy's Law yeah. before, but I haven't yeah. heard of the, um, where it's come from, the origin of it. Right. And I thought about explaining that, but I don't want to take away from yes. Diane's story. So I think that would be good for another time. Okay. But um, basically, it's the ability for victims to have a voice in the justice system. Um, they believe that's so important. So as a part of their 31 Voices project during domestic violence awareness, oh, 
During Domestic Violence Awareness Month, they are hearing from victims of crime across the state to tell their story and issue a call to action on behalf of crime victims. So Jade shares her story. <clears throat> now this will all sound familiar, obviously, as we just went through it all, but this is from Jade's perspective. So on September 9th, 1999, three strangers knocked on my door of my Magic Valley home and asked to borrow the phone. My mom let them in. Opening that door became a turning point in life for many people. The intruders injected her with insulin and methamphetamine, hoping my mother's death would, sound, would look like a suicide. They watched as my mom struggled to survive for over an hour, waiting for her to die. This senseless crime left me and my five older siblings without a mother. The lead instigator of this crime turned out to be the ex-wife of my mom's boyfriend. I was three years old when I witnessed this horrific tragedy. The murders, <clears throat> the murderers were eventually convicted, but when my mom's life ended, my life, at least as I knew it then, ended as well. I was only a toddler. I missed my mom every single day. I want to share this story to honor my mother, Alita Diane Ray, and the many others whose lives are cut short, who they no longer have a voice. Um, now she also in the comments says, I miss my mom every single day. Two of her murderers are free now. One lives near where I live. I struggle to go into town in the event I see him. What's uh. worse, he says he, quote, saved me because the others wanted to kill me, end quote. I was three years old. I was just a child. They left me alone with my mother's corpse. And now they are free to live their life. And I'm stuck in fear that our paths will cross. I am still a victim. My family is a victim. We need to be heard. The fact that he even had that... That opportunity for them to even say that to her yeah. was there is just infuriating. Yeah. I saved you? You didn't fucking save me. No. Fuck off. Like, oh. go get actually fucked so hard. In yeah, like, in the ass by, like, something bigger than a fucking pop can. Yeah. Sideways. <laughs> so, you guys, that is um, the very very sad story of how um a mother was taken from not just a young girl but you know actually five children yeah it's very unfortunate but um yeah um again like we said we'll leave uh resources in the show notes for you guys to check out if you are um a victim of domestic violence or you have somebody that you care about that's a victim uh and as well as as always, we have our references. So in that, I'll have the episodes uh, for The Evil Lives Here. Uh, those will be written in there too. So y'all can check it out. Thank you so much, Chrissy. I am, I, holy moly, you made me feel all the feels with that episode, first yeah. off. Second off, thank you again for bringing a case that involved a man being a victim of domestic violence because I think that's a really important message that needs to be reiterated throughout. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with that, you guys can find us on our socials. You can find us on Instagram at Homebrew Murder Crew. We are on TikTok at Homebrew Murder Crew. And we are also on Facebook at Homebrew Murder Crew. And if you have any questions, concerns, or anything like that, or cases you want us to cover, you can also reach us on email at homebrewmurdercrew at gmail.com. And 
as a spicy little extra if you guys stay tuned after this exit music auntie b's got a special little story to tell i got a story about the weekend you guys are gonna want to hear this thanks everybody we'll try later Bye. Welcome back. Yeah. Hey, listeners, if you stayed till this extra sneaky little bit here. You guys get a little sneak peek into my weekend. <laughs> so you have some like, real life true crime, although oh God. murder related, but you were on the verge. Okay, but pe- yeah, I was on the verge. Crime. It was crime, but it wasn't like the crime we talk about. It was just a theft. It wasn't petty theft, yeah. let me tell you. <laughs> oh boy, it's going to be good. I haven't All heard right. this story yet, so... So, you guys, I need to tell you, I, uh, I've had quite the experience this weekend, and I need to give you, like, a little bit of a uh, history before the story, if you will, because I've had about six phones stolen from me in my lifetime. Yeah. Have you had phones stolen from you ever? Never. Never? I've, I've lost. Not one. I've never even lost a phone. Really? Just- lost phones but I've never Christy, i know you've lost phones i don't think you've ever had one I've also i i had a uh, one of those flip phones and i was at the back alley once and i dropped it in my drink so <laughs> i've done that before i've also thrown oh i've done shit like that too so i dropped my phone in a toilet once yeah. that was my bad <laughs> too, but it was waterproof <laughs> yeah well so today's story you guys has to do with someone stealing my phone so like I said, I've had about six phones stolen in my lifetime. I mean, I worked at a bank and I left my phone there overnight one night and the cleaners of the bank took my phone. I've had it stolen out of my purse, like directly out of my purse, directly out of my phone. The, the bank, that's like the most secure place in the You world. would think. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, so I've never, I've never seen justice in any single one of the times that anyone stole my phone. So beginning of my story. I'm in Regina this weekend, and me, my mom, and my cousin decide to go to the casino. Now, I'm there for all of maybe 10 to 15 minutes. We go to the east end of the casino, take out money. My mom and my cousin go into the bathroom. I don't go in with them. I take out money at the ATM, and then I stand there. (laughs) And I know I, I sent a text, and I put my cell phone in my purse. Now, I hate big purses when I'm going out, but I still need like a little something to hold like my wallet, my phone, my smokes, you know, all that jazz. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so the little side bag I have, as we're walking away from the ATM, and the reason this part of the story is important is because I know, I at least I believe, we've all had that moment of intuition where we have a thought to ourselves and we're like, oh, this is a gut feeling. You should probably listen to it. Yeah. And it turns out to be true. So when we were walking from the ATM towards where the machines were, I looked down on my side and I saw that my wallet and my phone were kind of sticking out. And I was like, I thought to myself, hold on. 
Can I, Megan's buffering. Um, can you still hear us, Megan? Yeah. Okay. I can hear her too. Okay, sorry. All right. So I looked down in my side, I've seen my purse and it's unzippered and my cell phone and my wallet are uncomfortably sticking out for me to the point where I think I should probably zipper up my purse. Well, that was a little moment of intuition I should have fucking listened to, let me tell right. you. Because I went to two BLT machines and within the two BLTs, also 40 bucks gone, just like that in case that I was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was so quick. Uh, my phone went missing and I had this, when I was walking around, I had this feeling of uh, something just happened. You yeah. know, I was like, I'm uncomfortable all of a sudden. And so I was like, why? And I'm looking around and I'm like, where's my phone? So I automatically, when I realized I don't have my phone, I think, okay, I just lost it. Maybe I took it out at a machine and I put it down. So I retraced my, my steps. But as I'm getting to the first machine and not seeing it and the second machine and not seeing it, they're side by side. And I get this gut feeling just in my tummy. I was like, no, I was like, it's been stolen. I just know it. So we go to security, we go to get services. We do all that jazz. And uh, I'm calling my cell phone from my mom's phone while I'm there. And it was ringing. And I had just charged my cell phone before we got into the casino. So I knew it was at 100%. Was the ringer on? Yes. Yeah. The ringer was on. So anyway, I'm calling it, calling it, and I'm listening because I'm very aware of everybody in my space at this point. I'm like, this person looked at me funky. This person reached for their pocket when I was calling. Like, you know, little things like that, because I was hyper aware because my brain in that moment also realized that I knew what was happening because of the gut feeling that I had that I, I said to myself, I needed to close my purse and I didn't do it. This is it. This is why I felt that. And it's yeah. not here, so it's been stolen. So it was, I just knew that it had been stolen. Yeah. In my gut of guts. And so anyway, I go to my cousin and my mom who are sitting at like, like adjacent machines and I say it to them and they're like, oh no, you probably just lost it, which fair enough. That was my first reaction, but yeah. I was a little sensitive. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so I was like, I didn't lose it. I swear it's been stolen. I know <laughs> my gut it has. So we start looking for it. And I go back to security and security's helping me. They're saying that they're looking at the video footage and rewind an hour. I'm still there. They haven't helped me. Nothing. And the security guard that was talking to me was like, well, they haven't been able to find anything uh and so i was like okay well let me try my phone one more time and i called it and this time it went straight to voicemail so yeah a phone that's 100 percent charged that's ring 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 but then all of a sudden just goes to be off and straight to voicemail yeah that's sus super sus super sus right just wanted to make sure you were still there man no so in that moment i knew and i knew i was like okay i'm not wasting any more time or energy here i'm fucking pissed i spent a hundred dollars at the casino i won nothing and some asshole took my phone <laughs> like yeah. literally only gambling to waste time while security was doing their shit <laughs> oh, i was like i should be gambling with all this negative energy around me i never win <laughs> right so anyway fast forward to the next day now we're on saturday and 
My cousin suggests that we follow up with the casino. At this point, I've already replaced my phone because, well, one, I need a phone for work. I can't survive without a cell phone for work. And I had an upgrade with Bella anyway. So I was like, fuck it. Just give me whatever phone you have. Which, by the way, sucks. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, I kind of don't care. But at the same time, I, I obviously I do care. But I also know from the six previous times my cell phone has been stolen that the point, like, there's no point in putting any energy forward in trying to figure this out. Yeah. My brain. Well, it's a casino. <laughs> okay. There is one place on this planet that has more ca- more fucking cameras than anywhere else. That's a casino. Yeah, for sure. Right. So I'm like, no, like, I don't believe there's no evidence. So we do, we go back and I get this like manager from security come up and talk to me. And she's like, well, Miss Priest, people lose their phones all the time. Listen, listen. And I flat out interrupted her. And I was like, first off, remove the word lost from your vocabulary because it was not lost. It was stolen. It was 100% charged when it was here. And 10 minutes after me being here, it's off. Like, if you're not going to file an incident report, listen, I can respect that if you feel like that's what you need to do. But you know what I need to do? I need to file a police report. So that's what I'm going to do. So we go back and forth for a little bit. And I decide I'm just going to leave. You've got my info. Better believe that I am going to file a police report now. Just out of the sheer fact that you said that you didn't want to waste your time with it. Yeah. Now I'm going to force you. (laughs) So I leave the casino, you guys. And as I'm walking through the parking lot, the girl chases me out of the casino because magically within like the two minutes, all of a sudden she's like, you're right. You're right. Your phone was stolen. We caught them on video. We have footage, blah, blah, blah. Oh, really? Shocking. You don't say. Right? (laughs) So that made me think, okay, was it an employee? Like, that's where my mind went first. Right. Right? Well, especially if you don't want to look at the cameras, like, are you protecting somebody that you know is... Well, but that's the thing. You don't know that it's someone that you want to protect until you've looked at the cameras. So you've looked at the cameras, realized what has but then said, hey, the person who committed the crime is more important to fucking protect. Yeah. Well, I was shaking i don't blame you so anyway they I was like, look at the footage yes so they put it on a hard drive for me okay. so misses that the manager of security when she chased me out she re- like reassured me that once i go file the police report all i need to do is give them her name and number and everything will be taken care of so i'm like okay perfect so i leave we go about our night. I do a little karaoke. I have some egg bombs, whatever. It's a good time. Did you do a conga line? Did a conga line. Yeah. Oh, I did the line. My mother did the conga yeah. line. <laughs> yeah. That's just that's awesome. amazing. But the story gets better, everybody. Oh, I can't oh I'm excited. But wait, there's more. There's more. <laughs> so we're driving home from Regina on Sunday. And I've got my new phone, but I still have the find my phone app yeah oh shit and on the find my phone app i can still see my phone (laughs) i can still see it at the address of the casino 
driving home. I'm not driving. My mom's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. That's really important for what I'm about to say. Oh, and I get a little bang. Hear it. The motherfucker is gone and turned on my goddamn cell phone. <laughs> oh, shit. No kidding. No, I'm not. And it sat there for like a good while at this address. And I can see the address. And so I decide to, you know, go Sherlock Holmes, like I said. <laughs> and I Google map this shit. And it's a townhouse. It's a brown, like, uh, not townhouse, apartment complex. And the Google Maps picture has a blue truck in front of it. So I don't know if you're familiar, Megan, with, because I know you have an Android, uh, but I believe Android can do the same thing. On iPhone with the Find My Phone, you can make it flash and ping at the person. If yes. you put it in lost mode. Yeah. Yeah. But you can also put a message. So every time it yeah. pings, it says the message, right? Yeah. Oh God, what did you put? Listen, the drive from a drive to Calgary is a really long time. I had a long time to fuck this guy. <laughs> so I kept, so every time I pinged, I pinged like five times and then I changed the message. Ping five times, change the message. And so I'd say stuff like, uh, next time you want to rob somebody, maybe don't do it at a casino. Or be like, smile, you're on candy camera. <laughs> I even reiterated the address and I was like, if only I knew what unit number you were in. <laughs> I would have been like, I know. I know that number. I just thought. <laughs> the one creepiest one I said, I had, listen, I didn't mind being a creep because I knew who I was fucking with. So I had no problem with it. But um, yeah. one, all I said in it was, I see you. <laughs> I love it. I had so much fun. But anyway, Megan, this story does not end here. Oh my God, there's more. There's more. So phone goes on silent. Of I course. got a ping that just says connecting, connecting, connecting. So I'm like, okay, the fuckers turn it off, whatever. Yeah. So we're almost home. And I see my phone goes on again. And I'm like, fucker so I ping them a couple more times but it goes silent right away and then within minutes it turns back on but it's at a different address and I can see it's at a different address because it's telling me the fucking location right <laughs> and so all I say on the message is oh at a friend's house I see <laughs> <laughs> oh and then I said another one bet he can't figure it out <laughs> We legitimately just fucked with this person all day. Oh my god. <laughs> to the point, and this is the wrap-up and the best part of the story. I freaked the motherfucker out so bad that once he turned it off at his friend's house, I'm willing to bet his friend was like, get the fuck out of here with this. Yeah. Yeah. And took it back to the casino yes. and just left it on the side. So guess who has her phone back? Yes. No fucking way. Yeah, it got FedEx to me today. <laughs> you should definitely friend. Isn't that amazing? That's the, amazing. The biggest thing was, you guys, and the reason I wanted to share this was because it's the whole gut feeling of something. 
Yeah. And they're not letting, and they're not letting something go that you know is right. <laughs> yeah. Good because for if you. I didn't go back, if I didn't go back the next day and follow up with them, uh, I wouldn't have this resolution, right? So as far as what the casino said is that it was just left uh, like in the open by a garbage can. I mean, whether or not that's true, who fucking knows. But anyway, I did file a police report, you guys. Okay. And even though he returned it, I called the RPS and I said, I, I explained the story and they're like, well, can you give us the address of where it was sitting for uh, that period of time? I was like, absolutely. I don't know the unit number, but I can provide that to you. <laughs> and um, I said, regardless, I would like to have follow up on this. Uh, because quite frankly, I'm sorry, six phones in my lifetime stolen. Not one time have I been able to hold someone accountable. So yeah. you've got your motherfucking ass. That if I can hold this person accountable, I will. And I will for all six phones. Right. <laughs> but That's amazing. I just, because I, 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 I know in my heart of hearts, the reason he returned it, it wasn't because the phone was blacklisted after I canceled it. It was because I was blowing him up. <laughs> and I probably yeah. screwed the shit out of him. I love that for you. I love. That. Oh my god! Oh, it was so satisfying. Was like investigating him or looking into it. Like, what if he? Who knows what other stolen property they're gonna find on him, right? But that's just it, and and that goes back to what I was actually saying about this is why I wanted to tell this story. That intuition. Yeah. I yeah. knew within minutes of it happening to me that it was stolen. But from that moment on until the next day, when there was confirmation that it was stolen, I was hitting wall against wall against wall of people saying, oh, you just lost it. Or you must have been drinking and you lost it. Yeah. And it was insulting. Um, well, yeah. And like, there's so much personal information that's on your phone. So, I mean, it's not like it's not overreacting to want to, you know, and it's an invasion of privacy because it's a violation. Yeah. It's a of your privacy. So fuck them. Yeah. Fuck so them. I wanted to bring that feel good story oh, because with the wrong auntie, you fucked with the wrong auntie. Exactly. Don't fuck with auntie B. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, yeah, thanks everybody really- for tuning in to our little special cap at the end of this episode. We hope you enjoyed. I mean, I know I didn't for me because my life ain't that fucking interesting. Ladies and gents, kittens and creeps. Thank you for joining us. And we'll chat with you in two weeks. Zipper up those purses, everybody, and watch your phones. And like send us some messages, like email. Yeah, I can receive them now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Love you. Bye. 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 Bye.